It's strange. You barely notice it at first. The soft brushing over your ankle as you step over dead leaves and brush. It almost tickles the skin. The sensation of its delicate tendril is light, gentle even. You'd never expect its power. So when it snags on your clothes, you expect to tug out of it, and you do at first. But another tickling latches on. Its softness turns, becomes a grip. It tightens. Another tug and you tear your leg away, but now it's got you by the arm. Then the other leg. It's hard to even know where it's coming from. Before you can free yourself, it trips you, yanking your legs out from under you. You come down with a thud, a stunted, hard sound that in turn trips the body's alarm. Your breath catches, your heart races, and your body thrums with adrenaline. But you can't move. These delicate tendrils have become thick and coarse like rope, and they creak as they coil around your body. They've got you. They've got you by the legs and arms, and now by the throat. They squeeze the very air from you so there's no screaming. There is nothing to draw a breath from. You might be sinking. The strength of the vines pulling you under the earth. Because you become aware of a cool dampness under you. Or else you were being swallowed. Before the vines cover your face and block out the light, you can see one of those delicate tendrils twist up into view. At the end of it is a bud wobbling and weaving through the air as if on a time-lapse, the bud grows and begins to open. Smooth, almost scale-like, the bud expands and unfolds like opening wings. It twists down towards you, a face revealed, bright against the vines, almost too bright to look at. Orange and fuchsia streak across its petals like war paint, a violent and mystical gesture shining down on you. It is in this gaze that you learn the truth. You are not being swallowed. Something else is happening. For something to grow, hatch, be born, something else must wither and die. You are part of it. A cycle, a metamorphosis, a becoming. You are part of an unbreakable force of nature. <gasps> this is gathered. Storied Botanicals. I'm Allison B. Young, and happy Halloween. As a little kid, just about everything frightened me. From the dark, to snakes, to strangers, to the lurking shadows in the dark spaces of my bedroom that I was certain would come for me just as I drifted to sleep. 
I grew up with relentless nightmares and night terrors. Those early years were marked by my parents' attempts to soothe me, be it with nightlights or dreamcatchers. I still remember bad dreams as vividly, if not more so, as waking memories of family trips or going to school. So when I set out to write this episode, I was struck to think back and realize one of the few things that didn't scare me was the woods. Despite the countless grim fairy tales and witchy stories we hear and see from our childhoods, I regarded the woods as an extension of our home and, in some ways, our family. And apart from a run-in with poison ivy most summers from growing up, I never felt threatened by the plants and trees that made up our woods. But just because I wasn't afraid of the forest as a child doesn't mean that there aren't things to be feared out there through the dense vegetation, or the vegetation itself. Obscured by the long shadows of trees and the tangles of pricker bushes, we have conjured monsters with deep roots. From the very real Amanita phalloides, or death cat mushroom, to the fictitious man-eating tree of Madagascar. Even here, I've told stories about plants like hemlock and the mandrake that cause real life and fictional harm. Plant horror has joined the ranks with zombies and vampires as a type of horror movie with titles like Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Annihilation. Whether it's an obscure myth about a carnivorous plant from a faraway country, or a 1980s horror movie about a demon-possessed tree, these stories rely on a plant's predatory inclination and desire to harm people. It is not simply a matter of learning what flora is toxic and what is safe, but discovering flora that hunts for human flesh. And as many flowers and plants do for us, they stand in for what we can't always articulate. They are symbols, designed and arranged to terrify us, but also to help us cope and to better understand what keeps us up at night. In 1894, H.G. Wells wrote the short story, The Flowering of the Strange Orchid. Considered the father, or Shakespeare, of science fiction, Wells' story begins with a hopeful plant collector named Winter Wedderburn, who has bought his latest addition to his orchid collection. He describes the faith he must have when buying a brown, shriveled lump of tissue. He has to trust that it will grow and bloom, that it will unfold before the delighted eyes of the happy purchaser, day after day, with some new variety, some novel richness, a strange twist of the labellum, or some subtler coloration or unexpected mimicry. Wedderburn's housekeeper is less convinced. Throughout the story, she expresses her wariness for the creepy lump of tissue its burgeoning roots like little white fingers. She describes it as a spider shamming dead. Despite her fear and even disgust for the plant, Wedderburn plants his new orchid in his greenhouse, spending hours in there lovingly tending to it. And one morning he went out to the greenhouse to discover it had bloomed. With its new flower, the greenhouse was filled with its intensely sweet odor. 
My favorite thing about this story is how H.G. Wells captures Wedderburn's shift from excitement to his wooziness under the intoxicating smell of the plant. This subtle moment where our hair stands on end and we realize something is wrong. Wells describes that moment. And behold, the trailing green spikes bore now three great splashes of blossom from which this overpowering sweetness proceeded. He stopped before them in an ecstasy of admiration. The flowers were white with streaks of gold and orange upon the petals. The heavy labellum was coiled into an intricate projection and a wonderful bluish purple mingled there with the gold. He could see at once that the genus was altogether a new one, and the insufferable scent. How hot the place was. The blossoms swam before his eyes. He would see if the temperature was right. He made a step towards the thermometer. Suddenly, everything appeared unsteady. The bricks on the floor were dancing up and down. The white blossoms, the green leaves behind them. The whole greenhouse seemed to sweep sideways and then in a curve upward. This is when I'll offer a spoiler alert for the ending reveals the fully formed orchid and Wedderburn's fate. After the scene, readers follow Wedderburn's housekeeper out to the greenhouse when she notices he's been gone longer than usual. She finds him, to her horror, unconscious on the floor. Those white fingers of the orchid's roots have grown, stretched to the floor wrapping around his throat. Before succumbing to the plant's noxious fumes, she manages to smash the glass panes of the greenhouse and rescue Wedderburn. For H.G. Wells, it could be his early training in biology that helped inspire this story but it's likely he was keenly aware of how the world was developing around him, too. By the time The Flowering of the Strange Orchid was published, the Industrial Revolution had brought about the steam engine, as well as advancements in production of glass and steel. These factors allowed wealthy Victorian-era people to trade and collect rare, non-native plants like orchids, and even house them in climate-controlled greenhouses. It is also pointed out by Dr. Zarka of Monstrum that stories like H.G. Wells's are rooted in a mindset of colonialism. These plants became emblematic of places far from Europe, characterized as exotic. These jungle-like forests, along with their inhabitants, are rendered dangerous and untamable. The vining aerial roots, strangling Wetterburn, seemed to be a recurring, nightmarish image of monstrous plants. And perhaps this is because the vine offers something we don't typically associate with plants, an ability to move. As a florist, this sense of movement is what makes vines especially fun and interesting to work with in arrangements. A flowering vine like clematis or hyacinth bean can guide the eye, and create a sense of motion, visual depth, can tie the composition altogether. Where the draftsman or painter can physically draw a line on the page, 
The floral designer finds these physical lines in natural elements like stems and vines. These graceful lines created from a stem of ivy in a vase can offer a flourish to a design just as the idea of a plant moving or creeping along the forest floor with boa constrictor strength is enough to keep anyone up at night. If ever there was a plant that might slip into a bad dream of mine, it would probably be the daughter vine. It also goes appropriately by creepy names like strangleweed, witches, shoelaces, or devil's guts. Daughters are parasitic plants that produce virtually no chlorophyll, which means they must find a host for their nutrients. To do this, these vines can actually smell its victims. As a seedling, it can detect a potential host plant by the chemical scents that plants release through their leaves. These chemicals are referred to as green leaf volatiles, and once a daughter catches its scent, it will lean toward it and latch onto the plant producing that scent. As plant biologist Consuelo M. D. Moreas told NPR's David Malakoff, it's amazing to watch this plant having this almost animal-like behavior. This animal-like and aggressive ability to choke out a host plant is scary enough, but to see the daughter vine, I begin to wonder why it hasn't wound up in a horror movie yet. Its yellow or orange tendrils become a mass of tangles over a plant. It has no leaves, and its flowers grow in small clusters like beading along the vines. It appears both diminutive and immense. Orange varieties can look as though whole trees are being swallowed up by a raging fire. The parasitic weed is also considered an invasive species, and it grows in most temperate and tropical regions around the world. Common victims of the daughter are clover, alfalfa, hops, and bean crops. Farmers control it primarily by hand removal and may have to alternate to a crop that daughter doesn't latch onto, like wheat or other grasses. I have heard that the true horror is to never see the monster in its entirety. Leave it in the shadows and allow the imagination to fill in the dark spaces. And this seems true, at least for the daughter vine. Scientists learning how its scent can draw it to its host shines a new light on our understanding of this plant, which in turn can empower farmers and other growers to adapt and innovate for healthier, more resilient crops and plants. As for stories like the flowering of the strange orchid, there is something equally empowering about the idea of what's possible. A seemingly ugly, or even lifeless rhizome could rot, just as it could become something magnificent, something disturbing. If Wedderburn knew what every orchid would become, it's possible he'd give up on collecting them. The same could be true of us. Certainty is safe, but it robs us of that novel richness in our minds and our experiences. We lose the thrill and humility that can come from discovery. It is in the idea of possibility, this liminal space 
where things feel auspicious or uncertain that we are asked to consider nuance and complexity. What was that, and what will it become? This space is a bit nebulous, heady, difficult to wrap our heads around it. It can even be kind of scary, but it's also a powerful place to be when we're afraid. It is a place to transform our fear, to strengthen our imaginations and curiosity, and to stand our ground so that we can see the monsters we invent, see how they grow, and how to overcome them. Gathered, Storied Botanicals is a mostly monthly podcast written, recorded, and produced by me, Allison B. Young. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating the show on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. You can also head over to the website gathered-storiedbotanicals.com for more words, flowers, and art. Thank you for listening, and until next time.